Good, good morning. Am I on? Good morning. Welcome to Real Life Church. If you haven't met me, my name's Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Lovely to see you all. If you've got a Bible, can you go to John chapter 20, please? John chapter 20. If you're new amongst us here today and you'd like to find out a little bit more about us, stay in contact. There's a black card on your chair, contact card. Please fill in the details. We'd love to keep you updated with the stuff that's going on in the life of the church and with your information for that. So if you want to fill that in, hand that back in at the end of the meeting, that would be great. All right. Um, before I dive into what we're going to do, there's another leaflet on your chair like this. It's a colored one. Uh, this just outlines some of the things we feel God has called us to this year. I spoke on it a couple of weeks back. It's on our website, so if you missed it, you can go and kind of just download it, catch up. Some, to briefly sum up, we believe God has called us to come and get this year, come and get from Him, come and meet from Him. And there's some activities we're putting on so we can engage with God, encounter with God, be transformed more and more by Him, by His Spirit. But there's also some go and show things. We want to actually demonstrate practically the love and the grace of God um, to the community around us. And so if you have missed the sermon, please grab that one a couple of weeks back. That, then that leaflet will make a little bit more sense uh, to you. Start praying into the things God called us to. But today, we're on John chapter 20. This time last year, we started a journey through the book of John. And we said we were going to complete it in a year. We've kind of gone over slightly, but we've got this week and next week, and we'll have preached through the entire Gospel of John. And so we've reached chapter 20 today. Where we left it last week, Jesus had been betrayed by one of his closest friends. He'd been handed over to the authorities, the, the Jewish ruling leaders of the time, the religious authorities, as well as the Roman authorities who were governing that area of the world at that time. He had been wrongly condemned, we found out. He was innocent, yet he was still condemned. He had been brutally beaten, flogged, and then led out and executed in the most horrific way ever designed by man. And at the end of it, he died and was placed in a tomb. And we kind of saw all that that had happened. There were witnesses to this, including the writer of John's Gospel, John himself. He said he was there and he saw these things happen. And so where we ended right at the end of chapter 19 was Jesus was dead. It was all over. His followers were in a state of despair and confusion because they had had such high hopes for this. They thought this man was the Messiah. He was God's chosen one. And they really felt he was going to come and do something magnificent as prophesied in the Old Testament. But he's dead. It's all over. I'm so glad there are two extra chapters in John um, for the rest of the story. The big idea today of what we're going to look at is a, a personal encounter with the risen Jesus is vital to our Christian faith. Because if we left the story there, if that was the end, end of chapter 19, it was all over, the Christian faith wouldn't stand for much. It was just a guy who had a lot of nice ideas and then he died, which you could be saying for many other leaders, spiritual leaders, down, down through history. Many of them can make that claim. They said some things and maybe did some good things, but eventually they died. And it kind of ended there with them. However, what we find with Jesus is not the end. In fact, it's merely the beginning. We're going to look at three things today. We're going to look at the evidence for the resurrection. We're going to look at the encounters of the resurrection. And lastly, we're going to look at evangelism from the resurrection. So if you've got your Bible, let's read the first section. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone 
had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen grave cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in the place by itself. And the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. All right, evidence for the resurrection. It's early in the morning. All the Gospels note that it was the first day of the week. First line of that section there, first day of the week. That's significant. First day of the week is something new is happening. When you start a new week, you kind of think we've got a new week lot laid out before us. So there is... John is pointing to something. Something new is beginning here. The old has gone. Some, there's a new start. And it's also significant. Where does this take place? Where is the tomb? The tomb is in a garden. Where did it all begin with God? In a garden. When he made Adam and Eve and he put them in the garden and he gave them a commission. He's made in the image of God. So we're coming back to a garden. So creation first began in the garden. There's now new creation beginning in a garden. And it says, so all the gospel writers know this, something new is beginning. Mary Magdalene is there. She is noted by, in all the gospels, to be prominent in the resurrection accounts. We don't know much about her. Uh, we do know from Luke that she was someone who said some demons were driven out of her. So she was obviously someone who had been bound um, and had been released by Jesus. And, and so, as a result, she was a follower of Jesus. And uh, she was a witness, John has said at the cross, as she had seen him die in all that horror and suffering, seen him laid in the tomb. And they'd had, that was on the Friday, the Saturday, the Sabbath, the day of rest. They would have been resting at home in mourning and grief and shock. Sunday morning, she goes to the tomb, presumably to mourn, to check on the body or something. But when she gets there, to her horror... The, the, the stone is gone. The tomb is open. It's, it shouldn't be like that. It was sealed up with this massive stone weighing a lot that a lady on her own couldn't move. And it's suddenly now it's open. And so she, she goes back and she tells Peter and John, who is the disciple Jesus loved, that's a reference to John who wrote the gospel, and say, look, there's something wrong at the tomb. So they charge off. And it says they run as fast as they can. And it says John gets there first. He was a bit younger, we know, so probably a bit fitter. So he charges there and he gets there first. And he, he kind of looks in in this cave and he says he, see, he can see the grave clothes. It says in the last chapter that he was wrapped up, Jesus' body was wrapped as per the kind of Jewish tradition. And there's a bunch of spices. In fact, there was a whole lot of spices that someone, um, who was it he brought? Was it Nicodemus? bought 75 pounds of spices to wrap the body and he looks in there and you can see well there's no body but there's a whole there's the grave clothes are still there then Peter comes in and Peter being a bit more bold just goes into the into the tomb he's not going to stand on the outside and have a look I'm going in and he finds the grave clothes and there was a separate piece folded up which was the bit that would have been around Jesus head when they did the body they'd have wrapped the body and then they'd have wrapped the head and it was kind of, they're, they're, they're there, all folded up, as if there had been a body in there, but there isn't a body in there. Now we know, um, when we've looked at um, 
when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, Lazarus was risen from the dead, and he came out, and he was actually still wearing his glade clothes, wasn't he? Jesus actually told him, take them off him, because he can't move. You know, he's alive. So take them off him so he can get out. But these clothes are just lying there, but there's, there's no body in them. But it's as if the body was there, but the body has gone. And it says that they kind of, there's, a, there's a belief on the part of John, but it, it's not based on the word of God. It says he kind of believed, but they didn't understand the scripture. So they're kind of, something's going on here. Something is stirring in them, but they don't quite link it to what the word of God says about Jesus rising from the dead. Now, there are many theories that have gone around about what, what's happened here. One of the theories is the, often called the swoon theory, is that Jesus didn't die on the cross despite being killed by expert executioners, having a spear round in his side, been flogged beforehand and beaten. Apparently he didn't die. And so when they wrapped him in 75 pounds of spices and this linen cloth very tightly, and they put him in a cold tomb, he was revived. He woke up. Oh, man, I'm not dead, despite the ordeal. He then got out of his grave clothes, folded them up neatly, where he'd left them, presumably naked, moved the stone from the inside... And then disappeared off into the night, never to be heard of ever again. You can understand the plausibility of that one. Another one people say is the disciples stole the body. These grief-stricken, working-class guys who've seen their saviour murdered, um, and who'd run away, by the way, when he got captured, they all just scattered, they came and stole the body in the night. What What John's account doesn't say, which in other accounts, is there were soldiers guarding it. So these guys overcame crack troops, stole the body, and kind of hid it somewhere, which is, you think, well, that may have some merit. The difficulty with that is his followers, to a man, were martyred for their faith in some of the most horrific ways possible, and they still were claiming Jesus rose from the dead. Do you reckon all of them would have been willing to die for a lie? And not one of them said, do you know what? Don't saw me in half. I was joking. He's not dead. He's not dead. We nicked the body and we hid it here. No, they all died for their faith. Another one says the authorities hid the body. A lot more plausible, that one, because they were guarding the tomb. They could have just hid the body thinking, we don't want this fuss. But when a bunch of followers then say things like, he's alive, and they start causing problems, what would the authorities do? No, he's not. Here's the body, which they don't do, which leaves us with some conclusions to draw, and we have to draw these from ourselves. And the Bible's very clear on what it thinks. It thinks Jesus rose from the dead. He was dead in that tomb and it rose. And that's the testimony of the early church and the church today and all the thousand years in between. And it's a testimony of the Bible we have today. And when we think about that, you might think an empty tomb, oh, there could be other theories. Maybe that's not enough. But here there's, there's other evidence we can put by this on the resurrection. Other, in law, it would probably be called circumstantial evidence, but it's worth weighing up. How about this? The existence of the Bible is pretty good circumstantial for the resurrection of Christ. The Bible underwent the biggest systematic eradication attempt in history of a a book. Uh, In Roman times, there were periods where if you owned any part of it, it was pain of death. You were just executed. They were burned, and this was in the day pre-internet, pre-printing press. Everything had to be copied out by hand. Yet we have thousands and thousands of manuscripts of the New Testament that were written very soon after the, kind of the, the authors lived, which adds to its historical credibility. The fact that the Bible still exists today and we have manuscripts is some kind of testament to something's at work. What about the existence of the church, which again went, underwent a massive eradication attempt, yet exploded in followership, and today numbers 
a billion followers of Jesus around the world who love him and serve him. What about the persecution of the martyrs? Men and women by the thousands were killed for their faith. Killed for their faith, proclaiming Jesus rose from the dead. And they said, if you do not recant that, we will murder you. And they said, we will not. And they died for their faith in horrible ways. Some were, I think it was, was it the Emperor Nero, was it Domitian? One of them put Christians and covered them in tar and burned them alive at his parties to light the parties because he wanted, he hated the Christians. And you think, why would men and women do that unless there was truth in what they're saying? What about the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies written hundreds, thousands of years before Jesus even lived? People prophesied about his birth, how he'd be born, his life, his death, his resurrection. All prophesied about. What about the teachings of Jesus himself? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, they have not been improved on. They're still held up as just the words of a man who just knew something beyond other men and spoke them. Many of what we read in the Bible becomes foundations of our modern Western government and laws. Some of the principles are enshrined there. Well, how do you account for that? What do you count? Here's a great one. What do you, how do we account from the change of worship being a, day, a Saturday to a Sunday? Literally overnight, hundreds and hundreds of long-standing Jews who would have had a holy day on a Saturday, and that would have been their culture for hundreds and hundreds of years, suddenly decided, actually, Sunday's a better day, the first day of the week. We will worship on that day, and it's been that way ever since. What about the accounts of healings and miracles that still exist today? God, some people saying, Jesus healed me. Jesus kind of came into my life and did this. What about accounts of those who actually claim to have seen the risen Jesus? It says in Corinthians, there was one point, 500 or so saw him at once. That's not one person having a weird moment off, the, off on the side because they, you know, they ate too much cheese the night before. And they had a funny dream. This is a lot of guys all together seeing something. And... For us today, what I want to kind of point out from this is the Christian faith is rooted in people and history. It's not something that was just kind of dreamt up. It's rooted in historical fact of things that happened. There is accounts of the empty tomb. There is accounts of this man Jesus. There are accounts of what he did. There are accounts of his followers that are written down that you can read them. And we can have confidence in them. And it's not something we believe that's just some fanciful idea that sounds nice that becomes a, a spiritual crutch for the weak. It's actually something that's rooted in something that happened. We run um, a course here, the Alpha Course, which um, we've just finished one. We're about to start another one where people, if you have questions about this, you can actually ask them in a kind of a nice, safe environment, have some food. We sit around and we just talk about them. You might have objections like, what about this? What about that? Questions you've always wanted to ask. If you're in that position, please come talk to us. We'd love to get you plugged in and connected and, and kind of give you a forum to talk about these things. But I, I want to say to you just here today that what we believe is rooted in actual history, things that happened. However, what we see from here, these guys were presented with evidence that actually the body wasn't there, Jesus was risen from the dead, but it didn't actually produce faith in them all. It, it's good to look at these things and actually say, yeah, they point in a certain direction, they're compelling, but actually, it didn't seem to actually bring faith to life in those who saw it. For that, they need an encounter. Have you got your Bible? Let's go to verse 11 and beyond. It says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. 
Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to announce to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into the side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen? Blessed are those who have not yet seen, yet have believed. Okay, encounters of the resurrection. We've got Mary's, we've got the disciples, we've got Thomas. Okay, and they all have an encounter with the risen Jesus. Mary, verse 16 there, she's crying in the garden. A uh, figure approaches her, who she mistakes for the gardener, because the tomb was in a large garden. They'd have had a gardener who would have tended that, looked after that. And she basically wants to know where he is. Where, where have you put the body? I want to take him. She's kind of, it's her savior. She still, still loves him. She wants him. And Jesus speaks one word, her name. And if we remember back in John chapter uh, 10, when Jesus described himself as a good shepherd, what did he say? He says, the shepherd calls his sheep by name. And all Jesus said to her was, Mary. When your Savior calls your name, you hear it and you come. And what, did, what was Mary's response? Rabboni, teacher. And she flew to him and she grabbed him and she hugged him. I imagine she was weeping and laughing all at the same time. Just, He's alive. He's here. She had a personal encounter with the risen Jesus. It says that same day, that evening, the disciples were together. They were afraid because of the Jewish kind of authorities. Their, their leader has been killed. They're thinking, who's next? Who's next? So they're obviously kind of hidden away. And it says Jesus appeared amongst them. He didn't, he didn't open the door and come through. The door was locked. He just appeared amongst them. Jesus had risen from the dead. He had a resurrection body, which could obviously just appear and disappear at will, move through walls, however you want to kind of describe it. But he appeared amongst them, and he spoke to them. He showed them the wounds of his sacrifice, the wounds of the cross. But he met the disciples where they were, and they were astounded, and they 
believed in him because they had met him and they'd seen him. However, the one poor disciple who I have so much sympathy for, Thomas, wasn't there. He was elsewhere. We don't know what he was doing. But Thomas comes back from whatever he was doing, the errands he was running, and you've got the other disciples saying, we've seen the risen Jesus. He's, he's alive. It's amazing. What Mary was going on about, we've seen now. We've had an encounter with him. It's wonderful. And Thomas, <laughs> I don't believe you. I don't believe you. We don't know what he said, but you know, you do lally. You're hallucinating. You've probably heard many of these things. You're just, you, you want it to be true. And it's not. You're just kind of trying, you're clutching at straws. It's just some pie-eyed idea. People don't come back from the dead. When the Romans kill you, you're dead. That's it. And you stay dead. Because if they come back, yeah, they'll probably be really knocked at you. And they'll try again. So this just doesn't happen. So Thomas is like, no, I don't. I'm just not believing it. Then it says eight days later. Can you imagine what he'd have been like to live with for eight days? In fact, can you feel for Thomas what he'd have been like to live with those other guys who came saying, he's alive. And it's like, leave me alone. I don't believe it. And they would have wound him up and wound him up. And he'd be like, he's alive. Then really, Thomas, he's alive. And Thomas goes, shut up. I don't believe it. And then eventually, Thomas has those fateful words. Unless, unless I put my finger where the nails went through and that the hole in his side. So that story obviously got round where the spear went in. And unless I put my hand there, which is actually a bit gross when you think about it, isn't it? I just put my hand inside someone. But he says, unless that happens... I will not believe. Have you heard people say things like that? Unless something happens, I will not believe. And then, Jesus in his grace and mercy appears again in this room with the locked doors. Can you imagine what Thomas would have felt like at that point? Suddenly he's there, and you've got ten other guys going, told you, told you. And there's Thomas kind of getting smaller and smaller, and sort of thinking, oh man, they were right. And, I'm a, and, I, and then the best is when Jesus says to him, Jesus appears, and he, say, and he goes to Thomas, and you can imagine him walking up to Thomas, and Thomas just shrinking, and then he holds out his hands and says, Thomas, put your fingers there. Do you know what? He heard. Jesus obviously heard what Thomas had been saying. Can you imagine kind of like how kind of, oh, no, he heard me. When I was yelling at the other guy saying something stupid, unless I put the finger there, unless I put the hand there, I'm not going to believe. And Thomas is like, oh, man, he was listening. Jesus heard all of that. But Thomas, to his credit, his hand's there, and immediately, what does he do? He cries out in worship. My Lord and my God. His faith is ignited, and he praises Jesus. And he actually makes a confession of faith that the others aren't noted for. He cries out, I have seen the Lord. I know who you are, and he worships him. So all of them had personal encounters with Jesus that ignited faith. These encounters also overcame fear and doubt. I don't know what it was like for you when you became a believer, but did you have questions? Were you not sure? These guys were all in that same place. Mary was overcome with grief about what had happened. The disciples were fearful in that room. Actually, are we going to be killed next? Are we the next ones on the cross? Are we going to be joining Jesus? There was Thomas who was just like, I don't believe. Stubbornness and pride. I won't listen to your testimony. Even though I've lived with you all these years, I trust you, I've eaten with you. I don't believe you. Yet a personal encounter with Jesus just destroyed all those overnight. They saw him and they believed. And also this personal encounter with Jesus transformed them. It transformed them in an instant. Mary went from a grieving woman 
by the tomb, just overcome, where is my Savior, to suddenly clinging to him and saying, you're here, you're alive. It's, it's been done. The disciples, we see, what happens? They, get, they meet Jesus and they immediately, they want to tell Thomas and say, hey, Thomas, look, this is what's happened. This is what happened. Thomas himself, when he meets the risen Jesus, he cries out in worship. Doubt is overcome in an instant and suddenly he's a worshiper and praising Jesus kind of for what he's done. And what it means to us is being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus is about an impersonal encounter with him. It's about having a personal encounter with Jesus. It's not about uh, church attendance. It's not about being good. It's not about reading your Bible and praying. It's not about being christened as a baby or born in the United Kingdom because we're a Christian country. It's about none of those things. Not that any of those things are bad in them of themselves. That's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means that you have had a personal encounter with him, that you know him, that you have met him. Because Christianity is all about a person. It's about Jesus. It's not about the stuff we do, which can be good. It's about a person in the middle, the one we know, the one we love. And we are, as Christians, we've had an encounter with him. And this encounter is something we, we take by faith, we don't actually meet the risen Jesus in quite the same way they, they do, although I'd be up for that. I mean, terrifying as that would probably be, but I would be up for that. But it's something that God's Spirit brings us alive, it says. We respond by faith in Jesus. And uh, if you read our New Testament, what they describe, what it means to be Christian, is to be in Christ. That's the phrase they use. It's about connecting. It's about knowing someone. It's about knowing a real person. And this is the testimony of millions and millions of people the world over and down through history who have met and had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. I don't know about you what your story was when you met the Lord and what happened to you, but um, if you're not a believer here, why not ask someone in the room? Why not ask them, hi, how are you? What's your name? Are you a Christian? If they say yes, ask them how they met the Lord. I can remember for me when it was I was at university, I was in my early 20s, I'd grown up a legalistic, self-righteous uh, young man who would probably have been very nice you'd take home to meet your mum because I was good and you know, I, I looked the part, but inside I was rotten and I was just as bad as everybody else. Um, and I, I, I had standards I tried to live to, but I failed, but at least I was better than the other person. That's what I kind of kind of kept myself, at least I'm not as bad as them, you know, and however I looked at anyone else, I was always better than you because I could work it out that way, and that's the kind of person I was, um, but I met the Lord, and suddenly <laughs> I remember being alone in my room in my house at university, and suddenly being hit with the, um, the depths of my sin, how much I'd fallen short from God's holiness, how much I'd fallen short from his glory, and just being overcome by that, and just weeping before the Lord, thinking, I have messed up, I have fallen short of your standard, I am just, I am nowhere with you. And then I met Jesus, and he said, I forgive you, my son, I forgive you, come walk with me, he said, and in that instant, I was transformed. The Bible said it was I was justified, I was declared not guilty. When I repented of my sin, I put my faith in Jesus, and I've been walking with him ever since. But I had an encounter with Jesus that began that story. And for us today, if you're a believer here, I think one of the most powerful things that you can use to tell others is your story. That all that evidence we looked at, circumstantial evidence, that's great to talk about. You know, how do you account for this? What about this? And they're, they're all kind of real historical things that you might have to wrestle with. But actually, if you sit someone down, look them in the eye and say, Jesus changed my life. It's very 
it's hard to argue with that. It's an extremely powerful thing. I think it's one of the most powerful things God gives us is our ability to tell our story and God, how God has met us and changed us through it. Do not be afraid of that. Do not be afraid of that. Last one, and then we will stop. Evangelism from the resurrection. Last few verses there, verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. I would love to know what they are, but John did not write them down. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The whole purpose of John writing this book, and we've still got chapters to go, is for you to know who Jesus is. It's for you to come and know Jesus personally. It's for you to come and have a relationship with Jesus. And that's why I wrote it. And God has preserved this as part of his scripture down through the, the centuries so that many, many, many people will come to know Jesus. And if you look at what happens when people meet Jesus, they immediately go and tell people. What did Mary do? Jesus said to her, you've met me, you've seen me. Go tell the disciples. Go tell them. And what does Mary do? Oh, man, that scares me. Man, have I got to go and tell people? Can't we just have our little moment? Can't it be my personal faith? It's a very private thing. It's not a public thing. It's very private. It's just between you and me, Jesus. What does she do? She goes and tells the disciples. I imagine her legging it, but I don't know that. But I imagine her flying back to see the disciples. What about the disciples once they've met met the Lord themselves? What's the first thing they do? Well, Thomas wasn't here, was he? So we tell Thomas... And they, they go and they tell him, Thomas, guess what? Guess what's happened? They tell Thomas. Thomas doesn't believe at first, but then he has his own encounter and does. And then John himself, who would have been one of that first wave of disciples who met the Lord, he wrote this down for us. He wrote this down for us so that we may believe. And the, the point I want to make there is that once you've met the Lord, once you've truly had an encounter with the risen Jesus, you want to tell others. You want to tell others. The Bible, they describe, uh, the Bible is called the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel just means good news. And if you think about when you've had good news in other contexts, what do you want to do with it? You want to tell people. You want to tell people. I remember when we were pregnant with both our, our boys, um, and once we got to that point where we felt like, you know, we'd, we'd had a scan or we'd gone that distance, we need to tell people. We want to tell our family. We want to tell our friends. We get so excited. And we wanted to tell everyone that we would tell others not to tell people. So we'd tell them and say, we're going to tell you. It's really exciting. Yeah, you're pregnant. I said, can you not tell anyone? Because we want to go. We want to tell them. We're really excited about this. We want to tell them. I mean, you can tell us we're getting the 21st century because we'd say things like, don't put it on Facebook. Please, just give us like an hour to tell others before you put it on Facebook and the world literally knows. And we'd say things like that, but we wanted to tell good news. And if you've been in that situation where you've got a new job or you, something good's happened in your life, you want to tell people it's good news. And, it's, and Jesus is the best news. It's the best news. And sometimes we can look at telling people about Jesus as something we have to do. It's something you get to do. It's something that you have a privilege and a joy at, that God has met you, changed your life, saved you from your sins, guaranteed you a future with him forever, and a life now that is beyond anything you could have before, because you have him living with you and in you by his spirit, and doing great things. He gives you a mission to be part of, part of his church, the bride, his number one plan for the world. He says, you get to be part of this. Isn't it wonderful? And we get to say... Yeah, it's awesome. 
Let's go tell people about it. And so when we talk about telling others, it's not something that's meant to be onerous or laborious. It's meant to be something that we have to do with a joy because of what God has done in our lives. A few practical bits for you. If you want to think about telling others, the first thing you need to do is meet him yourself. If you're not a Christian here today, you need to meet him. And I'd love to introduce you to him today. You can do that. He'll be here. He is here by his spirit. And he'd love to meet you. If you are a believer, you need to keep meeting him. I remember the time when I became a Christian, but that's a long time ago now. You know, I'm 25 now, so that was probably, what, (laughs) three or four years ago. You know, time moves on. And so, but you need to keep meeting him. When we talked about what our, kind of our vision for this year with come and get, that's the whole point. Come and meet Jesus. Come be with his people and meet him. Because we want you to meet him as much as you can. You can meet him daily as you read your Bible and pray, beginning and the end of every day, whenever it works for you. You can pray, be filled with your spirit. Fill with your spirit, Lord, on a regular basis, daily basis. You can come and you can meet with other believers. We have Sunday, we have our life group meetings, we have our prayer meeting we run every couple of weeks where you get to come and meet with Jesus. You can gather with others, friends, and just say, can we pray together? Can we kind of meet Jesus together? Can we talk about you know, what it says in the Bible? Can we pray? Can we, just, can we get something of God? So keep meeting with him. Don't, li- don't live on what's happened. Don't live on it. If you read the book of Acts... It's, a, it's a, an account of people who keep meeting Jesus again and again and again. Some of the first time, some it seems like for the hundredth time. God appears and does something and their lives are changed again. So keep meeting him yourself. Same thing, just be natural about it. I've noticed people, people can be really natural about so many things that you might actually think are a little bit offensive. I remember Mel came back the other day and told me this story um, about um, a lady she hardly knew, but she said, basically, Mel made a comment or something on the lines of she was going shopping at Tesco's. You know, that's, I mean, that, is that a bad thing to say? But that was, she was, I had to go and pick something up at Tesco, whatever it was. And the lady she had met said, you do not want to go shopping at Tesco's. Evil multinational company. <laughs> and I was like, I'm just going to pick the milk up, you know, and the bread or whatever, whatever we needed. But she, and she came back and she remarked, she said, this lady had absolutely no problem confronting her and telling her where she should go shopping. I mean, shopping, really? And, that, and she said it was just amazing that she just came straight out with it with no kind of, you know, apologies. Or she just said, you're not going shopping at Tesco's. And I'm like, Mel went shopping at Tesco's, by the way. But anyway... But that's the point. But actually, it was, just, it was just, for her, that was a big deal and part of her life, and she was going to spread that message. Um, and so for us, if it's a big deal and part of your life, it should just be something that you talk about. It's just something that it's natural and normal for you. Um, you know, uh, for me, it's quite easy. People say, what do you do for work? And you're like, <laughs> yeah, sucker. You're not going to ask me again. But I'd say, oh, well, you never, you never, you know, you never guess what I do. I work for a lot of church, blah, blah, blah. Um, but you just talk about what you do at the weekend. Well, I did this and this and that. And then we went to church Sunday. It was awesome. And so it's just a natural part of your life. We don't have to be shy. We don't have to kind of sugarcoat it with people. We just tell them what's going on in our lives. And then once, if you're just being natural, then you have an opportunity to respond. So there's some people who never ask me what I do for a living, ever, because they, they know. And they're like, if I don't ask him now, I say, how's the family? How are the kids? Did you see the football score last night, except you said it, but they will never ask me how work is because they they're not interested. And I think, I can, be, I can live with that. But if some people are, then you'd be ready to respond. The Bible says we need to be ready to give an account for the hope that we've been called 
And so if someone does respond and say, oh, what's your church like? Where do you meet? What goes on there? You know, are you kind of those weirdo, woo, clappy, clappy ones? Yes, we are. You know, <laughs> what's it like? You just, then you're ready to respond. If you just live a natural life, people are there. I've got a friend of mine who, who never asked me kind of how anything about church, but he loves to keep telling me he's an atheist. He just comes and he says, do you know what? Just don't mind you. Don't you know I was an atheist? And I said, yeah, I think you've told me that many times. Um, but he, he just keeps wanting to respond to me, and I'm waiting for the moment when he actually asks me something about church. But we get on, we do life together. I like him, but he, he's just not interested at this point. I'm thinking, fine. But he just keeps reminding me he's an atheist. And then he, got, he, got, he was abroad on holiday, and he got conned to going, I think, to like an Alpha Supper or something. He didn't know about it. And, it was, and he had great joy in telling me all that stuff. But actually, you're ready. If someone does ask you, what's your church like? You're just ready to respond. So if you live a normal, natural life, people will ask you. If they don't, that's fine. You love them, you pray for them, and we'll see what happens. You can tell them your story, the most powerful thing you've got. This is what God did to me. He's real. He changed my life. You can invite them here on Sunday to show what kind of way we are here. We've got the Alpha course starting again. Talk to Melanie about that. That We've got some people already who want to come along who just want to ask those questions and kind of do a little bit more uh, for that. So we have got that. So let's just sum up where we got to there. We've had the resurrection of Jesus there is much evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. There is so much. There are books and all sorts of written on that have been written about that. But I don't think that works without an encounter with Jesus. It's a good place to start, but you need to meet the risen Jesus. And the result of that, we tell others. We tell others, not because we have to, but because we want to, because we get to, because it's the, the mission that Jesus has sent us on. He told all of them to go and tell others, didn't he? I'm sending you, he said to his disciples. All right, do you want to stand up? I'm going to pray. The band come get ready, and we're going to worship this risen Jesus. Do you want to just close your eyes um, for a second while the band get ready? I'd just like to stir you now. We're about to kind of worship together, which is kind of a formal thing we do as the people of God when we gather on a Sunday, and we do it every Sunday, and we love to do it. Um, but I want to stir your faith that actually you can meet the risen Lord Jesus today, here now. Whether you've been a believer for a week or for 50 years, he's here by his spirit, and he wants to meet with his people as we sing as we prophesy, as you kind of let the words of the sort of sermon kind of get in you, you might reread the passage that we've just looked at. God is here and he wants to meet with his people. And he wants to meet with you. He likes to meet with us kind of, we say corporately, but in the corporate, you think almost the individual, you can almost feel lost as an individual. Well, there's a lot of people there. I'm sure he wants to meet with the person standing next to me because they're really holy. But would he want to meet with me? Yes, he would. He loves you. He knows your name. When Jesus said Mary... He knows your name. And I believe he's calling it today, saying, come, meet with me by faith. So just let your mind go through that process that actually God wants to meet with me today, now, in this moment. And meeting with God is a good thing. Meeting with Jesus is a good thing because he loves you and he's for you. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the empty tomb. I want to thank you that you rose from death. I want to thank you that death couldn't hold you. I want to thank you that you dying was finishing the job your father had given you. You said it's finished, but then you rose on that third day victorious. 
You rose in a resurrection body, which is a pattern that we are going to follow. One day we too will die, but we will rise again with you forever in that pattern, Lord Jesus. I want to thank you that you chose personally to meet with your followers, Mary, uh, disciples, Thomas. I want to thank you. You were so gracious with Thomas. You were so gracious, and you're so gracious. I thank you for all the other accounts. Read the other Gospels, others you met with. The big group you met with, it says in Corinthians, uh, many of them together. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for that, Lord. I want to thank you that you keep on meeting with people down the centuries today. I want to thank you for my story, that you met with me and you saved me. Maybe you think about what your story, when God saved your life and God transformed you. Say thank you to him for that. Thank you, Lord, that you met each of us, God. And we want to say, Lord, we want to keep meeting with you. We don't want to live on past moments, as good as they can be. We want, to, we want something fresh for today. We want to meet with you today like we'd meet with a friend, we'd meet with a spouse, we'd, we'd meet with someone and we have a, a new conversation about something. Lord, we want to meet with you today by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us now, fill this place that we might just meet with you, engage with you. God, speak to us, speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, speak to us through uh, words of prophecy and scripture and uh, whatever else you fancy doing. Lord, today we want to say we love you and we praise you, God. And I ask you, give us grace to live the life like you said the followers just go and send the message i'm sending you here's the holy spirit to come with you to do it lord jesus we thank you and we praise you we love you lord and god's people said amen, amen.